Our reading continues this morning from Luke's Gospel, uh, beginning with chapter 12, verse 54, and then continuing through verse 9 of chapter 13. Reading today from the Common English Bible translation. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud forming in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And indeed it does. And when a south wind blows, you say, a heat wave is coming. And it does. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret conditions on earth and in the sky. How is it that you do not know how to interpret the present time? And why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going to court with your accuser, make your best effort to reach a settlement along the way. Otherwise, your accuser may bring you before the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you won't get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, look, I've been coming looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. These words from the letter of James ring loud in the backdrop of today's reading from Luke's Gospel, reminding us of an important truth, one that we can easily forget, a truth that has the potential to change how we see ourselves in relation to the world around us, our attitude and our posture, how we speak to and treat one another, where we choose to focus our attention. And as a result, where it is that we experience the presence of God 
in the midst of the many joys and challenges that we face each and every day. In the second chapter of James, the words mercy triumphs over judgment act as a conclusion to the writer's own reflection on what it really means and feels and looks like to love our neighbors and to love ourselves. And this means treating both ourselves and each person with whom we come into contact as a recipient of the love and grace-filled promises of the divine. These words of James mark the end of the section in chapter 2 without additional commentary or reflection. As if the phrase, mercy triumphs over judgment, speaks for itself, not as a pithy reminder, but as a summary statement of the gospel of God. James believes we can all agree with these words, not only because of the self-revelation of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but also because of the manner of life in Christ to which we each are called to bear witness, a life that paints a living picture of what mercy is, demonstrating by demonstrating that which we ourselves have first received by the God who the scriptures teach us is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word mercy as it is used in James chapter two is a word that also means kindness. It speaks to the genuine concern that one possesses on behalf of another and it is made visible by the demonstration of that concern by our way of life and also how we choose to respond. Mercy, as it is understood in the scriptures, is not an overly intellectual and linear concept. It begins almost as a feeling, a desire deep down inside that moves us to act to do something that in some way reaches out beyond ourselves to another. And that, the feeling, the desire, the act, the reaching out, is the triumph of mercy over judgment. Reaching out is what God and Christ has done with and for us. Reaching out is how God calls us to live in response. The word for triumph that James uses in chapter 2 is a word that can mean many things. And the first meaning denotes the triumph of victory, as in a competition. A grave found in Asia Minor from the early Christian period of the Roman Empire had an inscription making reference to a gladiator who was victorious in triumph over his competitor. This definition of triumph is not too difficult to imagine, and our use of it would seem to be suggesting that mercy is strong enough to defeat judgment because it is more powerful. But another definition of triumph brings to mind instead the setting of a courtroom. For example, in the translation chosen by the Common English Bible, the verse in James reads, mercy overrules judgment. The second definition invites us to overhear the competing claims of mercy and judgment before the jury. 
And every time judgment tries its best to voice an objection, the judge rules in mercy's favor. Objection overruled. In this second example, mercy wins because she is quite simply a better litigator and brings a stronger case into the courtroom than judgment does. A third definition of triumph is in many ways the best one, however, for it illustrates the relationship between mercy and judgment in a different way. And that's because the third definition is less about power and more about attitude and perspective. The reason mercy triumphs over judgment in this third example is not because mercy is stronger, but because mercy sees and experiences and interprets life through a different lens altogether. In this third definition, triumph denotes pride and an overall attitude of boastfulness. The fact that James refuses to defend or seek to clarify his claim that mercy triumphs is perhaps evidence enough that this third definition is precisely what he had in mind. Not that mercy is arrogant, but that because of Jesus, mercy knows that she has a reason to celebrate. Because where judgment draws a line, mercy crosses over it. Where judgment leaves a space between us, mercy brings people together. Where judgment chooses some and not others, mercy knows no partiality. Judgment might be right from time to time, but being right only gets you so far. Being right can make you proud on the surface and leave you ashamed underneath. But mercy bears no shame. While judgment cannot afford to show its true feelings, mercy has nothing to be ashamed of. And way down deep inside of us, where shame is experienced most palpably, is the very place where mercy is felt and takes root and begins to grow and to shoot up and out from the deepest parts of who we are, out through the soil of life, into the sun where it proudly bears the fruit of kindness in the lives of the people around us. Mercy is dynamic. Mercy is unpredictable. Mercy is messy and is willing to show up even when she's not invited. When judgment cannot budge, mercy is free to turn even the most painful of situations into the soil of possibilities. Judgment runs out of time, but mercy takes its time, making sure that every moment counts. And time, wouldn't you know, is what today's reading from the Gospel of Luke is all about. Though it's not just about time, it's about the present time and about whether or not we're able to discern what time it is. Time to rain. Time for warmer weather. Time to repair a breach in relationships. 
time for us to dig around in the soil of our lives in order to see if there is any room for growth. The language of repentance that Jesus uses in today's reading is profoundly translated here as change your heart and life. And not only does this phrase better capture the totality that is, that is implied by the language of repentance, but it also uncovers a sometimes hidden quality. For we each have it within us, Jesus says to the crowd, both to locate what is good and pleasing and mature, and also to seize upon it with all that we have and with all that we are. As a way of illustrating this, Jesus tells a story about an absentee landowner who every now and then returns to his vineyard looking for fruit on a fig tree. Finding none, he said to his gardener, I keep coming to this tree looking for fruit and there is none. Cut it down, for it is useless and it is wasting the good soil in which it has been planted. But the gardener who works in the soil each and every day knows better. That just because you go looking for fruit doesn't mean that you're going to find any. The landowner wants the fruit to grow, but is unwilling to tend the soil himself. But the gardener knows that sometimes you have to try something different if you want to see different results. Now let us assume that the gardener is not only well-meaning, but also skilled for this labor. And if so, then the gardener is surely also well aware of this particular tree that the landowner is unconvinced can bear fruit. And what is more, though the landowner is assured of the quality of the soil, and its conditions, the gardener understands that things are not quite what they appear to be on the surface. And here's where the story gets interesting. Because the gardener in Jesus' parable knows enough not to make promises. The most that he is willing to say is maybe. After all, some trees are never going to bear fruit, no matter how hard you try. But this, too, brings us back to the question of time. And more specifically, how to make the most of the time that each of us is given. Sooner or later, someone has to cultivate the land to improve the conditions, and someone, before it's all said and done, is going to have to get their hands down into the dirt and into the soil and into the mess and work and turn and toil and sweat and dig and shovel and fill and move, and let's face it, someone is going to have to take a risk. The risk to grow is the same as the risk not to grow. But given the choice, the risk to grow is a risk that is surely worth taking.
What trees in your life are you waiting to grow? Friendship? Healing? Renewal? Sobriety? Courage? An opportunity? Second chance? A first chance? Today, let us consider how we may set ourselves to work not with any assurance of control over the outcomes, but with a greater awareness that way down deep, hidden beneath the surface, all of our roots are intertwined, such that whenever any one of us becomes willing to touch the soil with our hands, to move and to feel and to tend and to nourish the earth, with kindness, with love, and with reverence. We do so not in isolation. We do so not alone, but with trust that we, with time, will see it for ourselves, that there is life running deep into the roots and out into the branches, working its way through the whole of creation with new seeds bearing witness to a promise that will not fade but flourish. Because the fruit of our present planting, however small and insignificant it may seem, provides the seeds for the coming season and the ripening of a harvest that will be ready with time. As the prophet from today's reading also reminds us, my plans are not your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. Just as the rain and the snow come down from the sky and do not return there without watering the earth, making it conceive and yield plants and providing seed to the sower and food to the eater, so is my word that comes from my mouth. It does not return to me empty. Instead, it does what I want. And it accomplishes what I intend. Yes, you will go out with celebration. And you will be brought back in peace. Even the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. For such is the mercy and the faithfulness of our God. Through Jesus Christ, the gardener of our souls, both now and forevermore. Amen.